Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of This Show is All About You, a show about all the ways in which you and me connect as we and what that means for all of us. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. Thanks for joining me once again. And uh, if you want to find out more about me, check out my website. That's wordsbyjdk.com. You can also check out my social media feeds on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N. You should find me pretty easily. Would love to chat with you. Hear what you have to say, your thoughts on the show, and anything else you'd like to discuss. Uh, today is episode 58 for February 14th, 2022. It is Valentine's Day, and so I'm going to be talking about that. Uh, today seems appropriate to do so. Um, but the title of today's show, uh, based on that, is Loving the Rock Steady Soul Singing. Loving the Rock Steady Soul Singing. And I'll explain what that means. Uh, it was a mouthful to say, more than I expected. Uh, the haiku that goes with it is one actually I wrote a while ago. Uh, I normally write uh, the haiku specifically for this show, but I wrote this one a while ago, and I thought it was appropriate for today and give you kind of a sense of where I'm going with that title. Valentine's Day is the subject. See how we unpack it. It goes like this. Searching for answers outside ignores the power of what's inside our hearts. Searching for answers outside ignores the power of what's inside our hearts. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, before we start, I always like to start off the show by thanking, uh, our very kind sponsor airway science for kids, which is a nonprofit based in the Portland, Oregon area that provides, uh, life and career pathway opportunities for underserved youth, uh, in aviation and aerospace. And they do that through a combination of in-house programs of various kinds, uh, uh, that People, kids can take part in uh, in person when possible and certainly virtually, but also by facilitating connections uh, that students and families and communities need, whether that be educational entities, governmental entities, uh, mental and physical health uh, resources, you name it. It's a very holistic, very broad, uh, very integrated uh, approach uh, to helping underserved youth. If you'd like to know more about that amazing work that they do, please check out their website at airsci.org, A-I-R-S-C-I.org, or you can reach out to them directly via email for information by using info at airsci.org. All right. So, okay, so it is Valentine's Day. Um, depending on who you are and maybe where you are in life, that may be a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> or it could be, you could be kind of in the middle, just kind of, meh. well, Whichever one it is for you normally or just today, not to worry. This is an episode for you, particularly um, if you are interested in maybe taking a jaunt back into history, talking a little bit about groovy music, and maybe are open to looking at this day in some different ways. Um, and there is no denying that this is a what I would call an ever-visible holiday. Uh, a couple things about it. It is the second biggest retail holiday of the year. I didn't know that until just a few days ago when a friend of mine mentioned it to me. Uh, it makes sense. Uh, but wow, that's that's big. Obviously, Christmas is the, is the first one. Uh, but also, as I was talking about with another friend, it's also a really talked about holiday, right? It's, it's one that we talk about in advance or that's always sort of out there. Uh, and as it approaches, people are talking about it all the time, talking about the plans that they're making. What are they going to do? What are they going to maybe get for a significant other? How are they going to acknowledge it? Or if they're a person who doesn't like the holiday, what are they going to do in lieu of the holiday or in spite of the holiday? You know, and it is ever present in the sense that, you know, there's entire industries uh, built around it. It is called a hallmark holiday uh, for a reason. 
And it certainly has its commercial element. And so for that reason, it can be easy to be really cynical about the holiday. And uh, many are. And I will include myself in that, at least historically. And we'll talk more about that later. I used to hate this holiday. <laughs> um, uh, and I was one of those people trying to find some way to avoid it. Uh, it's not that way anymore. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy about that. But, um, you know, the, the pressures of it can be immense, right? The pressures for people to need to be in a relationship or if they are in a relationship to do something um, worthwhile, important that, you know, partner feels good about. Uh, you know, romantic movies always target that this time of year for release uh, because there's that's sort of the sort of the it's part of the pacing of our year in a lot of ways uh, around this. So anyway, I got to thinking about why is it so prominent? And uh, somebody I was talking with mentioned that uh, this is really the only uh, holiday every year that is dedicated solely to our relationships. And I thought that was an interesting point. And I've been kind of mulling that over uh, since it was mentioned. And it's true. A lot of holidays have, you know, relational elements, family get togethers at Thanksgiving and certainly at Christmas and um, New Year's has a relational element too. But this one is specific to them. And if we take a step back from just the romantic relationship component that is so often associated with Valentine's Day and take a look at just relationships in general, we certainly say happy Valentine's Day to our family, to our friends, you know, express appreciation to them. And it makes sense. Relationships are key core things for us. Our connections to our relationships are vital to us. We care a lot about them. They're important to our well-being, to our sense of belonging, to our sense of safety and place, to our ability to grow. Relationships have a lot to say with that. And that's just that's not just something that that people say. That's that's scientifically known at this point. And so in that broader sense, the popularity and the strength of this holiday makes sense. Um uh, and yet it can certainly be be overwhelming. And for some people, Valentine's Day can feel like a litmus test um, on their on where they are in life, not just in their love life, but just in general. And that's about a lot of the messaging we get about the importance of romantic love to our lives uh, that may or may not be true. Uh, but it can be tough, and I can get that. As I mentioned, I used to really hate this holiday. Uh, and even over the past few years, as I was moving away from that, negative feelings about it would still come up for all the reasons that I just listed, right? Some mixture of ingredients would come and I'd have some angst about it or some some unease about it. And the last couple of years, I was getting frustrated because I knew I didn't really want it to feel that way. I didn't want to give the day that much power. And yet it still seemed elusive, kind of letting go of that. And uh, But that seemingly has passed. And I'll, and I'll tell you why that is uh, towards the end of the show today. Uh, because I think we need to go down. I want to take us down uh, into history here. Uh, a couple months ago when I was talking about Christmas, people really enjoyed the historical look back at Santa Claus that I did in an episode. So I thought I would do that again uh, by taking a look at the holiday. And, and I'm going to do this just to kind of give some background, uh, but also to show that I'm neither going to extol the virtues of Valentine's Day and I'm not going to put it down um, or bash it. Either one is really easy to do. Uh, but history has a way of kind of giving us a, little, a lot of things to think about and can kind of take the positives and put them in perspective and take the negatives and put them in perspective. And like so many other things in history, history can show us that in the moment, we might be making, making something out to be bigger than it really is historically or think that it goes back a lot further in history than it really does. 
And uh, so because of that, we have maybe a lot more control over how we respond to it than we think. All right. So with that in mind, where did Valentine's Day originate? Uh, certainly it is uh, the, the popular history is that it is named after uh, St. Valentine, patron saint. Uh, but even St. Valentine is shrouded uh, in mystery. We know for a long time that February, going all the way back to the Roman era, has long been celebrated as a month of romance, uh, and that Valentine's Day over time has taken some vestiges of its Christian origins and ancient Roman traditions, pulled them together in what is now effectively a uh, secular holiday, despite the fact it's named after St. Valentine. Uh, And so how did this all fit together? Well, the Catholic Church recognizes at least three different saints named either Valentine or Valentinius, all of whom were martyred. <laughs> so that's, that's one thing to keep in mind. Uh, the, most, uh, the most popular legend surrounding uh, St. Valentine was that he was a priest uh, during the 3rd century in Rome. And what the legend part is, is that when Emperor Claudius II, who earned the nickname Claudius the Cruel, quite the nickname, uh, when he decided that single men made better soldiers fighting for Rome than those who had wives and families, Claudius just outlawed marriage for young men. And so, and then according to the legend, Valentine, recognizing that this was unjust, continued to perform marriages in secret and eventually was ordered put to death uh, by Claudius. And so that is the, that is the popular uh, version of that. Um, but other stories suggest that historians have written and investigated, suggest that uh, St. Valentine may have been killed for helping Christians escape Roman prisons Uh, where they were often beaten and tortured. And according to another legend, uh, Valentine was imprisoned at one point and actually wrote the first Valentine himself after he fell in love with a young girl who may have been the daughter of his jailer uh, and sending her a note said, from your Valentine. Uh, Of course, the expression that's still used today. So there's a number of places where this could have started. So even though it's murky, that's sort of the the root of it. what they all emphasize is Valentine's, uh, his love for others, his sympathy, he was heroic. And by the time we get to later centuries, uh, a very romantic figure. Uh, in the Middle Ages, Valentine, for all those reasons and others, was one of the more popular saints, uh, particularly in England and France, and motivated uh, a lot of poems of the day. Uh, Chaucer uh, wrote, I guess, what you could call Valentine poems or referenced uh, Valentine in in his writing as just one example. Now, when it became, how it became a holiday is also kind of a little murky. Uh, the anniversary of Valentine's death or burial, uh, which occurred probably somewhere around AD 270, uh, the, the story became it was on February 14th. And so that's where this came from. Um, however, uh, the, it also coincides the date with a longstanding Roman uh, pagan practice, a holiday called Lupercalia. And that was celebrated on February 15th. And Lupercalia was a fertility festival uh, dedicated to Faunus, the Roman god of agriculture, as well as to the mythical founders of Rome, Romulus and Remus, two young boys raised by wolves uh, as the founder of Rome. And this was a, a whole series of uh, rites and practices were done around Lupercalia uh, in ancient Rome. And uh, one of them, strangely, was the priests of, of an order called the Luperci, or Luperci, would sacrifice a goat uh, and then also sacrifice a dog. And they would strip the goat's hide into strips. They would dip them in the sacrificial blood and they would 
take them into the streets gently, slapping both women and crop fields with the goat hide. This was supposed to increase uh, fertility and bring the favor of the gods uh, for good crops as well as for women to, uh, to give birth to children. And so there was, there was oftentimes um, marriages and matches were made for marriages in uh, February around Lupercalia. So uh, certainly at some point when Rome became Christian in uh, the 4th and 5th centuries, uh, there was a blending together some level of uh, the Christian uh, holiday over the pagan holiday. And that's not the only example uh, that exists of that uh, in history. So if we want to move forward okay, beyond this, it's to kind of just for the sake of time, even though there are references, uh, love notes uh, that reference St. Valentine, uh, like I said, Chaucer says it in the 14th century. In the 15th century, uh, the Duke of Orléans uh, wrote to his wife while he was imprisoned in the Tower of London after uh, the Battle of Agincourt and referenced uh, his love for her as, you know, rooted in St. Valentine's, all of that. Of course, another popular image around, uh, around Valentine's Day is Cupid. Uh, we often see Cupid on Valentine's Day cards as the, the naked cherub launching arrows of love uh, at unsuspecting people, right, bringing that together. Uh, but the Roman god Cupid has a little bit of a different route. No one can agree on exactly who he's supposed to be the offspring of. It's usually usually Eros, the, the Greek god of love, is the one that's referenced. But it could be others. But according to the pre-Hellenistic period, so before, about the 300s B.C., uh, Cupid was not a little cherub. In fact, he was a very handsome, immortal man who his thing he loved to do most was play on the emotions of gods and of men, and he would use golden arrows to incite love in them. But he also used ones made of lead to sow aversion, hatred, distaste, that type of thing. So that whole part of him was removed in the Hellenistic period when he became sort of more seen as that. But his original incarnation meant he could either give love or he could really take it away or make it impossible. Right? So, so over time and, and moving closer to the Industrial Revolution of the, 19th and, or the 18th and 19th centuries, Valentine's Day came to sort of be enshrined more in places like England uh, and France and then eventually in the United States. Uh, and today it's celebrated in all those places as well as in Canada, Mexico, uh, Australia, and really became, started to become popular in uh, the 1700s and 1800s. Uh, so by the end of, say, the 1700s, there were around Valentine's Day, people gave small tokens of affection in all social classes, handwritten notes, uh, those types of things. And in the United States, uh, people began to exchange cards and that type of thing in the 1840s. Now, it's really Victorian England that drives this forward, and I want to make sure I leave enough time for stuff on the other side of this, but I found this fascinating. In the Victorian era in England, an era of high society, an era of high propriety, where certain behaviors were, were, uh, were shunned upon, particularly the expression person to person of affection, uh, sending notes on Valentine's Day became very, very popular. It became, a, it became a good way to sort of say how you felt to someone that they maybe didn't know and to do so uh, in secret. And in the middle of the 19th century, when the British government established the penny post, where people could send anything throughout England uh, for one penny, there was an explosion of people who could suddenly now afford to use the post, sending these, uh, these notes out, expressing undying love, devotion, uh, with sentiments or poems. Uh, but here's another side of it. They also 
What was also equally popular in the 19th century in uh, Victorian England was something called vinegar valentines, <laughs> the exact opposite of loving valentines. These were ones that were, if you were not on good terms with somebody, or if you wanted somebody to leave you alone, you could send these out as well. And here's an example of one that a woman could send to a man who was maybe a suitor who she did not want to be pursuing her. Uh, it has a big lemon in the middle of the, of the card. And uh, it says, uh, to my Valentine, tis a lemon that I hand you and bid you now skidoo. Because I love another, there is no chance for you. <laughs> That's a vinegar. That's a vinegar uh, Valentine if I've ever heard one. Um, another card uh, had a picture of a woman dousing a man with a bucket of water. And, and it says, here's a cool reception. Uh, tell, and then tells the old fellow on there that he best uh, step away from her. And this became not only a very popular thing, but a very controversial thing in 19th century England. Because as you would expect, these didn't always go over well. And so there were stories of people committing suicide, people murdering people who'd sent this back and forth. And so by the end of the 19th century, there was a real push in England to get rid of vinegar valentines almost entirely and to focus on ones that were about affection and love and connection and that type of thing. And so <laughs> I just love that story. Um, and even to this day, as many cards as go out at Valentine's Day, and it's the second most uh, popular holiday, again, for cards, uh, the ones I suppose we could call vinegar ones aren't popular. They're usually more joke-oriented uh, or ones you find in specialty stores. And most people would not consider that a kind thing to do and, and, and wouldn't do it and certainly want to, wouldn't want to receive them. And so over time with all of that, kind of a push away from that and then the mass production of cards and then, of course, mass media in the 20th century, Valentine's Day took on a life of its own and uh, became incredibly powerful and incredibly popular. Uh, there was a resurgence of some vinegar valentines uh, in England as well as in the United States geared towards uh, women who were involved in the suffrage movements in those countries. Uh, oftentimes that, that type of hate mail was sent to them pointing out their so-called moral failings um, or you know, to chide them for their behavior, their improper behavior, or to denounce what they were doing. Um, in a lot of ways, it's, it's reminded, and some commentators have said, it's kind of like Victorian-era trolling. Like, you know, you could send these things anonymously. Uh, you didn't have to put your name on them or anything like that. And they were targeted at people who weren't uh, supposedly acting uh, the right way. Okay. So with all of that, that's sort of the general uh, history of that. In the United States, uh, this became much more popular after the Civil War once uh, the divisions uh, between the country were on the, in the process of beginning to heal. And, uh, and so here we are. Right? So it's worth pointing out with all of this, and this is sort of the, the big piece, uh, I think, why I wanted to go into this uh, today, that the, the origins of this holiday are murky. They changed over time. Uh, its importance has changed. It was once a holiday that was equally about expressing love, but also expressing vitriol, uh, one that could be just as much about expressing love and as it was expressing pain and vice versa. And of course, by now, with the advent of movies, television, mass media, it's only been in the last handful of decades that mass media has associated this day with all of the things that it associates it with. That is not a common uh, historical connection point for most people in history. And so that means, like so many other things, everything is about now. And so the weight of the holiday, that some people can feel that it's always been this way or that it always will be this way, 
simply isn't true. And I'm hoping that there's a sense of freedom uh, in that for all of us, no matter how we feel uh, about the holidays. Uh, it is truly what we make it. And I, I mentioned at the top of the show that that my angst with the holiday seems to have passed a little bit. And, and this year, I feel truly free to it, free from uh, that old kind of pain associated with it, frustration for all those reasons I mentioned. But what's interesting about that is with that, I feel so much more love and connection with those close to me, having let that go, than I have before. It's a really interesting paradox. Uh, and it has a lot to do with, with the choices that I've made internally, right, on how to fra- reframe those external messages, those expectations, and those pressures. And it will probably always be a process with ebb and flows. I can't guarantee I won't uh, feel meh about it again next year, but I feel like I'm on a good track. Well, how did that happen? And, and a friend of mine, when I was asking her about this about a year ago, when I was expressing this frustration that I couldn't seem to let go of my negative angst around the holiday, uh, compared it to something that I can't directly relate to, but might be helpful, compared it to pregnancy and said, imagine you're an you're a expectant mother and instead of a baby, you're holding this feeling, this angst about the holiday. And you're coming to term, right? Eight months pregnant or so with these feelings. You know what it's like to be pregnant. You know the process, and you're just waiting for the baby to be born. And she said, take it from me. If When you're eight months pregnant, what you really want is that baby to arrive. But you can't force it. You can't make it. It just has to be born when it's born. And so the encouragement was for me to just stay patient, to not fight against that negative feeling, and just kind of let it be and be okay with it and trust that over time uh, I would be kind of giving birth to the baby, <laughs> if you will. All right, so that that idea of just making my state of it, my feelings about it, okay, uh, helped me take down the internal temperature in myself. And it gave me a chance to really look at myself a little differently and the holiday a little bit differently. So in the context of what's happening for me with this, and maybe this will resonate uh, with you, uh, part of what has happened for me is I pretty much stopped sending vinegar valentines to the holiday itself, right? And to myself, this part is key. Uh, the self-language I used to give myself about this holiday, what I thought it was supposed to mean, where I thought it was supposed to be, was pretty vicious in, in, <laughs> in retrospect, right? It wasn't kind to myself, telling myself to move on, not worthy, you know, that type of thing. I had to stop doing that. Uh, and so in that sense, it could be a mixed bag, right? You can, you can have both. You can have both those feelings of appreciation of the holiday and eh, not so nice about the holiday. And this, is, this brings me back to the title of today's show, uh, Loving the Rock Steady Soul Singing. Um, I got to thinking when I came in, what was, a, what was a good analogy for how we can kind of hold both the positives and the negatives of this holiday if, if we have them both? And I got to thinking to Motown, Motown music. Uh, and those names, Rock Steady and Soul Singing, are the names of really two really great uh, Motown-style songs. Rock Steady, uh, made famous by Aretha Franklin. Uh, and soul singing by a more modern act, uh, the Black Crows. And I love both those songs because they are fun. They, you feel good when you hear them. You just kind of want to move. You kind of want to dance with them. And they're a fun way to connect with yourself and maybe with others and to feel good. Yet if you listen to the lyrics of them, <laughs> they aren't necessarily in every way the happiest. And a lot of Motown is that way, right? Deep grooves that you can't help but just really like. And they can even feel upbeat, but if you listen to the lyrics of them, they may not be. They take on subjects of, that songs take on of many kinds. Love, obviously, but also grief, heartbreak, loneliness, 
uh, alienation, anger, and take on all those things. But there's something about Motown, how they can blend those two things together. And the blues more largely can do this, uh, that I think is really powerful. And so if we use that as an analogy for kind of how reframing the holiday, I think it can be, it can be helpful. We can create and allow for whatever coexistence we have of our emotions around this holiday. And it can be okay. And we can hold all the different emotional states that may come with it. And it can be like that type of music. So loving the rock steady soul singing, you can love just that experience of it and be okay. And if this is a holiday where you realize you shouldn't give it so much power, maybe you're just eight months pregnant. (laughs) It's going to take some time to get there. And so uh, you can still dance to Motown eight months pregnant. You have to be really careful, I'm sure. But nevertheless, uh, it's something you can do. So if this holiday... If this Valentine's Day you're feeling great and connected and you're feeling loved and feeling feeling loving, uh, revel in that. Enjoy the moment and the gratitude that you have for it. Uh, if you are a person who hates it, maybe let yourself off the hook a little bit. It's okay that it kind of sucks. <laughs> and there are also places in that okayness, if you allow yourself to just be okay with that, where you can kind of take the pressure off yourself and maybe better see the love that you do have in your life the love that you do have for others, uh, perhaps in different ways than romantic, but nevertheless, no less real. It might even be more real. At a minimum, that kind of place can be an entryway into a path to better framing those feelings about the holiday in the long run. Um, In wrapping up, I'm reminded of what uh, the great thinker and philosopher Anthony DeMello once said, that the answer to pain, uh, the pain around something is not to renounce it, right? So not renouncing Valentine's Day or what it is. Because uh, when we renounce things, he said, quote, we remain bound to them. And so it's best to just let them be as they are. And of course, in that idea, we can maybe see ourselves as valuable as the source for love for ourselves. And from there, uh, us being an outlet for love for other people, whatever that looks like. If we have a particular vision of how that's supposed to look, it's nearly inevitable that we're going to feel disappointed with anything but our idealized version of things, particularly love. And when we don't do that, we can see and experience what is actually there in terms of the love in our lives, the connection, um, even if it exists alongside some not-so-fun feelings as well. That's what I think it means to let the soul sing and to, be, and to feel rock-steady and connected while doing it. So that's where I'm coming from today on this episode of This Show is All About You. Thanks for uh, the, taking part in the history lesson as well as kind of going with me on this. I hope uh, wherever you are, The day has meaning for you uh, and that you found meaning in this. And tomorrow is the 15th. (laughs) Sometimes it's that simple. So until uh, next time, I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin. Thanks for joining me. Uh, And until then, chins up, everyone.